looking ahead and believing that this season will end, what are you most looking forward to when you do get to go to the Philippines, when you do get that green light? Oh, I'm so excited <laughs> uh, to get back in the culture. I miss I miss the culture so much and and all of the people. Um, I miss hearing the language and eating all the yummy food. Uh, and most of all, I miss diving. Uh, I think that's so hard with living in Pennsylvania, you know, where we're not really, I mean, we're kind of close to the ocean, but not really. Um, and it's just, there's just, the diving is so nice in the Philippines where it's just warm, warm water, warm weather. Um, and so I, I miss the water dearly. It's been hard to pretty much be landlocked for the past um, year and a half um, or so. I am excited to get back to what I'm passionate about and um, what I feel like I was kind of born for to some level. And that's saying a lot, given that you told me that a lot of what you do on those dives is that you're literally scrubbing off algae with a toothbrush. That's, is that right? That's correct. I know most people think I'm crazy, um, but it's actually kind of relaxing. I mean, everyone has their, you know, things that relax them, but you know, it's, it's two hours of the toothbrush man does it for me. Um, <laughs> This is a podcast that tells stories about what God is doing right now in the world. We focus on what is happening with, in, or through Christians. The Bible says in Psalm 107 verses 1 and 2, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others He has redeemed you from your enemies. I'm your host, Emma Moore. Let's get started. Welcome back to Seeing God. Today we are here with Megan Landis. She is a marine biologist and a missionary who is ready to go long-term to the Philippines to work on a ministry that involves coral reef restoration. She is currently in the States due to COVID and waiting for the go-ahead to be able to head back to the Philippines. So today we'll get to hear about what she does what the Coral Reef Restoration Project is, how God fits into all of that, how missions fits into all of that, and a little bit about what he's doing in her as well while she waits to go back. So welcome, Megan. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> we are really excited to have you. First, could you start off just by giving us a little bit of background on how you got to know God? Sure. So I grew up in a Christian home with godly parents, godly grandparents on both sides. And so God had kind of always been something in my life. I grew up going to church and being involved in church activities. Um, so it was kind of normal, but uh, really uh, when I first committed my life uh, to the Lord, that came through the death of a great grandma. Um, and she was just the first death in the family. And that just kind of sparked a lot of questions of what happens after someone dies. And it was through those conversations and those questions and answers and kind of wrestling with that at such a young age um, that kind of led me to making that commitment. And then 
just with a family guiding me and, and then the church also guiding me just to kind of keep that commitment and continue on. How did that relationship with God affect your choices as you entered adulthood? Well, it affected it into even what I'm doing right now. Um, that it was, it was so important to me. Um, it was how I chose a college. Um, my faith was so important that I wanted to study at a Christian university. Um, and I got the privilege to do that, especially with being a science major. Uh, that was really important to me that I studied at a Christian college. Um, so that played into that decision. Um, and that then played into um, some jobs and what I started to pursue of as the Lord started to work on my heart for overseas missions and being a part of that, that led to decisions of pursuing missions and and becoming a missionary um, and then doing uh, what I now do overseas. So you said that it's it was especially important for you being a science major to study that at a Christian university. Could you explain why? Well, there are so many different theories out there, and I really wanted to sit under some Christian leadership where we could talk through things like evolution, and we can and we could hit on both perspectives. I, I wanted to be in a program where we could talk about the secular views, but we could also come back to the Bible, um, and that was really important um, to see both sides and compare and contrast and have have a safe place to to wrestle out some of those things um, and to really find out what I believed in, why I believed what I believed in. I just felt like, not that you can't have that at other universities or other places, but it was just very important to me that I was being led under Christian leadership. This is something that we might we might end up touching on later, but and it's a very big question. But how do you see God and the Bible interacting with science. That's something that, like you touched on, that uh, there are a lot of theories, um, a lot of scientific theories that don't line up with the Bible. Yeah, no, right. That is that is kind of a loaded question, um, but I'll maybe just focus on kind of what pertains to even my ministry now um, with go back to creation. Like I love that, that science and, and God fit together. Just when we go back to Genesis, I, you know, it's, it's hard to explain uh, the beginning of the world without including God <laughs> it's, it's very difficult. Um, and so I love that, that that's even part of our ministry. That's kind of where we start. And when people kind of, ask us why we do what we do and especially the locals you know why would you care about our reef you know that we're destroying um you know we kind of get to go back to genesis and and start with the beginning of look god created the world and everything in it you know and he said it was good and then he handed over stewardship of the earth to man um and so it's our responsibility to to tend and keep and so i love that we see see God, you know, in so many different aspects, but especially just in creation itself. And creation just fascinates me. It is, I don't know, like it is so beautiful. Uh, and if you've never been scuba diving before or snorkeling or, or any of that, it is just like a whole another world underneath the deep blue. Like it, it's totally different. And it's just, there's some really fascinating creatures they're like wow god you are 
really awesome and very creative in what you create. I just love it. (laughs) What is one of those creatures that stands out to you as being particularly interesting? Oh, man. I got to say, there's some really weird looking fish. (laughs) Eels are so weird, so strange. (laughs) Um, There's really beautiful reef fish and turtles. And oh, man, I'm just trying to think of like my favorite weirdest creature. But I, it's a hard one. (laughs) There's so many. I have never been scuba diving. I have been snorkeling, but my husband likes to watch nature documentaries. So for a while, he was really stuck on the cuttlefish. Yeah, there you go. That is that is a strange looking creature. <laughs> yep, those and octopuses. Oh my goodness, they kind of freak me out here and there because they just they blend, and you just never know where they're going to pop out. <laughs> they have such good camouflage, but I think the. My least favorite creature here. Maybe I can answer this. So, uh, we have <laughs> we we get sea snakes um, that like to visit our project sites, and everyone knows that the snakes are not my favorite. Um, so it's kind of our team joke. Um, and the fact that some of our our coral restoration manager, he's a local Filipino. He loves to to joke with me and pretend that there's a snake just to like get me to freak out. Uh, he thinks it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> and so it's just our joke, but um, they just—I mean—they're gorgeous creatures, but they—I oh, don't know. I just don't like—I don't like snakes on land. <laughs> they really don't like them <laughs> in the water. <laughs> so they're 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 unique, though. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's so cool. So can you describe a little bit what your project is? Sure. So with just the coral restoration side of things, uh, we work under the name Reefs for Life. And so that's a nonprofit organization that's registered here in the States. Um, and so with that, we do coral restoration sites. So we go into local fishing villages in the Philippines and we set up a fish sanctuary. And so this essentially basically is what we call a no-take zone. Um, And so it basically means that no one can fish or touch any part of that ecosystem. Um, So it's protected by uh, ordinance via the government as well. And so within this site um, that is protected, we put in these metal structures that go into the water. They're about uh, eight feet in diameter, um, and they're out of rebar. And that is hooked up to, there's a power station that floats on the surface and that has solar panels and batteries uh, in it. And so there's low voltage electricity that's going to flow down from that power station to our rebar structures that sit about 30 feet below the surface. And so that allows calcium carbonate to grow on these structures, which is the skeletal foundation for coral. And with that, we take uh, what's left of the existing reef. Uh, We break off fragments of that and we zip tie it onto these structures. Um, And the coral will actually grow about five to seven times faster and it'll be more resilient um, because it has its skeletal foundation right on uh, the surface. It's a little bit more protected from disease because it's getting all of the nutrients that it needs. So 
it's a very safe environment for these pieces of coral to grow and interact and reproduce. And then it, it brings back the habitat uh, too as well. So it provides a breeding zone for fish. Um, and so we see the fish population come back um, in as little as I believe nine months it's been and that we've seen a fish population double its size, uh, which is incredible to see that. It just kind of becomes a safe habitat and we've been able to see different species start to come back as well of that we're missing in the ecosystem and so it's been um, this beautiful thing to see and it's actually increased the fish catch outside of the sanctuary as well because the fishermen are using sustainable fishing practices that we've educated them on and then they're also catching the right fish too because they're not catching juvenile fish and they're catching you know the adult sized fish that were ready to be caught and would be what they would normally eat and would be what they would sell at the market and so uh, everyone benefits you know from the ecosystem um, to to the local people as well so that's kind of a little bit of an overview of our coral restoration project. Why was the project needed in this specific location? Cultural practices for fishing in this area tend to include uh, the use of blast fishing. Um, and so basically what that is, is that you kind of make a homemade bomb out of a dynamite um, and you light it and you drop it on the reef and it explodes and it kills and destroys everything, you know, below the surface. So uh, the whole reef and the fish kind of float up to the top, it stuns the fish and then it's just a quick catch. So it's very destructive and they overfish also in that process and they catch a lot of fish that they wouldn't normally sell or eat. And it's also very dangerous. Um, a lot of fishermen lose their lives via this. And so that is kind of the main cultural practice for fishing in, in the Philippines and in this specific area as well. There's two other destructive ways. Um, they're not as popular, but we have cyanide fishing, um, which is very similar, just using the use of cyanide instead of dynamite. And then uh, they use illegal nets um, to catch uh, fish and those, uh, catch everything and anything um, so again, overfishing and it can destroy the habitat as well. Um, so that's kind of been the problem is that generation after generation, these fishermen have just completely destroyed uh, most of the ecosystem um, in this area. And it's really important because, you know, uh, fish is the main source of protein for them and their diet and, and fishing is the main source of income. Um, and so you take away those two and, and you're just putting these villages further and further into poverty. So a sustainable ecosystem is so crucial um, to them. It's their way of life, you know, and so it's it's it goes beyond um, just income and, and food as well. You know, the coral reefs are actually what protect their land as well. Um, you know, we're in a high typhoon area. And so... It's the reefs that break up the waves. And so we've noticed over the years with the reefs being gone, the typhoons have hit harder and they've destroyed um, more on land. So um, now that we've started to bring the reef back, it's actually protected a lot of these coastal villages as well. Um, so it, it goes on all areas of, uh, for protection and sustainability. Wow. And you, since... What has destroyed the reef is this cultural practice of destructive fishing techniques. A lot of what you do is also uh, community education programs, right? 
absolutely. Yeah, that's where that's where it all starts. We we start with education and and kind of move forward from there. So, what does a typical week look like when you're in the Philippines, or when you know when you expect to go back? In 2018, you were there for 10 months, and then you're hoping to go back for a longer term, a couple years. It sounds like hopefully sometime in early 2021. So, when you're there, what has your life looked like, and what will it look like? Yeah, so a typical week for us usually uh, Monday's kind of like our rest day because our weekends are usually packed. So we kind of start off with a rest day and a team oriented day as well. Um, and then uh, the rest, like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I uh, usually looks like dive days for us. So we'll we'll dive at least two, if not three, of those days. And so a dive day basically is. 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Um, and we hit at least two of our eight coral restoration sites and do general maintenance on there, whatever else um, is needed. Also within there, we'll be doing curriculum prep because um, we always do usually at least one event on the weekend or during the week. Um, but usually Saturdays or Sundays are, are kind of event days unless we're in a school um, doing like a kids program event. Um, so somewhere in there we'll have curriculum prep. We'll have a meeting with our volunteers that are college students um, to kind of teach them the curriculum because they'll be the ones that are kind of running the show of whatever program that we're doing that week, whether it's a trash cleanup or a community event or some type of educational event for either children or adults. And they're the ones that are really running the show and teaching um, and they're kind of on the front line and we're just we take a step back and so we'll we'll have those types of meetings and then we'll do our event either on Saturday or Sunday and then uh, Sunday night is always Bible study for us um, and so usually a lot of the volunteers will will come back later that night and and sit with us in Bible study um, and then we kind of start the week over but we wear we wear a lot of different hats and we do a lot of different things so that's a general overview but um it's it's a lot of meetings and prep and time under the water um and then lots of community events and you did not anticipate being able to get to use your degree in such a direct way with missions how did that happen yeah, it's kind of a crazy story of just kind of wanting as as I was in college and as I started to really pursue missions and as I started going on some short-term trips overseas and just as the Lord started working on my heart of that he had something more for me um, than just kind of my major and just here in the U.S. And this kind of really burdened my heart to to serve overseas. I began praying, God, how are you going to combine marine biology and missions? And it was a very uh, long-winded prayer of, I think, about five years, I believe, for kind of the Lord to complete it. So I, I began praying and praying pursuing it and researching oh god where's where is this marine biology emissions and i i really couldn't find anything and so in that process i still continued to move forward and you know did various internships and jobs um and it was really in the last job that i took which was in california before i went out to the philippines 
right as I kind of took that job, I got connected to my now teammates. Um, and they're actually from Southern California, interestingly enough. And so as the Lord would have it, they were coming home on furlough the exact same time that I was living out in California. And so we got to meet and they explained their project and it was just everything I could have ever imagined of just from uh, kids programs and, and working with youth and young adults, which was a huge passion of mine to, to education, to scuba diving um, and to working with local people uh, using some of my administrative skills as well. Um, and just kind of they were looking for a younger person to be on the team to, to mentor these college students and work with children as well. And so it just ended up being this perfect fit that only God could have ever put together. Because never what I have told you, I was going to work with Coral or do this type of thing. I didn't even think it was possible <laughs> to find um, something like what we're doing. Um, so God just ordained it in a divine way. And he set that up. He put it in your heart before he fulfilled that for you. And you had to wait a while to see how that was going to work out. Right now, you are also in a waiting stage. You came back in 2018, planning to prepare to go long-term back to the Philippines, and you knew that that was going to take at least a year um, because you needed to do training with your sending church. So at that point, you knew you were going to be here for at least a year, but then in 2020, as we all know, COVID happened and things got weird in the world generally as far as movement goes and you are still here in the States. What has that period been like for you? It has been a very unique period of, and it's been a very humbling period for me um, as I've kind of learned a new way of waiting on the Lord, um, especially with so much ambiguity, which I know many of us are, are in. But to have been in that before COVID and then uh, dive even further into it um, with COVID and then still be there, it's been, it's been very humbling. I'm just learning how to sit before the Lord and give Him the plans, right? Give Him the desires of our heart um, and to hold to hold all of that loosely and to also really trust in the Lord that He is faithful. I think that that has been something that I keep coming back to, that the Lord is faithful and that He finishes what He starts. And and so that has kind of been what I've clung to during this time in this time of uncertainty in this time of God, I don't understand that he who calls you is faithful. And that has kind of stopped me in my tracks every time of, of when you start to get on, you know, that doubting train or you start to question things that that's, that's where that kind of ends for me of that he's faithful and he's still good. And so uh, it's been trying to figure out what this season looks like as it's unexpected, as it I wasn't planning on being here, but knowing that God doesn't waste time either. And so really trying to dive in and, and shift my perspective too of I've said, God, okay, what do you have for this season? Like what do what should I be a part of that you want me to be a part of in this time? Um because it could be very easy to just kind of just to kind of crawl in a hole and hide and um, and just be like, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. Um, but 
I just know God too well to know that he's got something planned during this time. And there's, there's, there's reasons beyond COVID of, of why I'm still here. And I'm excited to kind of see um, what, what God has in store for this season, um, whatever it might be. Hmm. So while you're here, you work as part of a team and they are still doing all of this work. Is that right? That's correct. That's really exciting. So how many sites does Roost for Life have at this point? So we currently have eight. Uh, we are hoping to launch our ninth soon. Uh, we're just waiting on funding. Yeah, they've they really expanded because when I left, we had six. So yeah, when I left the Philippines, we had six. They are now at eight and hopefully we're trusting God for the funds, but maybe before the end of the year, we'll have nine. And how far apart are the sites? They are within about a 45-minute boat ride of kind of from the furthest points of, of the sites. Uh, so uh, they're just all kind of one town after another on a peninsula. So, What's the makeup of the team? So you're American, mm-hmm. and you mentioned your teammates who you met in Southern California are from Southern California. What about the rest of the team? Sure. So uh, missions-wise, the Americans are the team. Um, so we are under the same organization. Um, and so so it's just kind of it's a very small team. So one family and myself. Um, and then the rest of our team is made up of nationals. Uh, however, they're more on the coral restoration side of it versus the ministry side. So our coral restoration manager is a Christian. Um, so he does, he's a Filipino and he understands both sides of it. But the rest of them um, are kind of more in it for environmentalism per se, um, but they are all nationals. So. Cool. And just to clarify, we hadn't, I don't think we touched on this in um, much detail yet, but so the ministry side of it, you work with a mission organization that also runs this Roofs for Life nonprofit. So there's the environmental sort of branch of it, and then there's a more ministry evangelism focused side of what you do. Yes, that's correct. So the ministry is under an agency, and then uh, we have the Roots for Life, which is actually a secular organization um, that runs kind of the environmental side of it. Obviously, we combine the two, um, and they work hand-in-hand with each other. That is so cool to hear about, and I have really loved hearing about a practical application of God's concern for his environment. I think that's something that can be a little bit harder to see sometimes in certain Christian cultures. And I know for me personally, it feels detached. It feels a little bit harder to apply some of those truths that God loves his creation, that he made it all so amazingly. So it's been really cool just to hear how you get to do that in a really practical way and also to communicate to other people why you're doing that. Yeah. He just, you know, God just never ceases to amaze me, you know, with um, just how creative he is and just the way that he, he uses what he creates to bring glory to himself. Um, And there's no limits on that. I think sometimes we tend to put God in a box, um, especially 
in missions too. And we see that in the history of missions. So sometimes we get so caught up in that missions has to look like X, Y, and Z. Um, And I don't think that that's true. Um, I think that God uses every aspect of what he creates um, for his glory. Um, And so he can use, you know, fishing, (laughs) you know, he can use coral restoration. Um, You know, he can also use teaching English and medical and, and all of those ministries as well. And they're all equally as important. But I think so many times I hear the phrase of, well, I can't be a missionary or I can't do it because I'm not this or that. Um, and I think no matter what your skill is um, and no matter how the Lord has gifted you, he can use it and he will use it for his glory. Um, and so I think it's this this call to to look outside the box and to get outside the box and realize that there's so much more to to missions and there's so much more to um furthering the kingdom um than what we can imagine megan thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this with us and to tell other people about what's happening in the philippines and what's happening in you too as you wait to go back yeah you're welcome thank you so much for having me this has been this has been fun Psalm 107 verse 43 says about stories like this, those who are wise will take all this to heart. They will see in our history, the faithful love of the Lord. If you have a story you'd like to share, or you know of someone who does, please go to our website at www.seeinggodpodcast.wordpress.com and click on submit a story. God is doing things all over in all of his people. And we want to know about as many stories as possible. So please do go to the website and submit a story. Also, we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode or the podcast in general. You can tweet us at God Seeing or comment on our Instagram or Facebook pages at Seeing God Podcast. You can also email us at seeinggodpodcast at gmail.com. This episode was produced in the studios at Lancaster Bible College. I'm Emma Moore. Our interviewer is Jan Gebert. Our engineer is George Haynes. And our show music is Siberia by Dmitry Lukyanov. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seeing God. Seeing God.